As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to a book called Titus or a letter called Titus, toward, it, toward the end of the, uh, the Bible. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, you'll find in the bulletin, uh, there'll be the scripture listed for you. Uh, not only that, we'll also have um, it on the screen for you as well. Hey, anytime you start a journey, especially something new, uh, like a new book of the Bible, there's some questions you should answer to begin with. Kind of like looking at a roadmap a little bit, uh, trying to get a lay of the land so we can make sense of this right away. Some of the questions you want to know, like, hey, who wrote this? Uh, who wrote this book or this letter? Uh, you want to know who first read this? Who was this written to? To whom received this? And probably want to know, it'd be helpful, hey, where did they read it? Where was it sent? What was going on uh, that, that caused Paul, who wrote it, to send it uh, to this location? And ultimately as well, if you can start off by starting to see why. Why was this uh, letter sent uh, to begin with? Well, we find out very early on in this letter, uh, Paul himself says that he is the author. Uh, he is writing to Titus. Uh, Titus, he calls my true child in the common faith. There's a little indicator here of that relationship. When Paul talks about my true child in the common faith, this is somebody that Paul himself has led into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Somebody that through Paul's personal life and ministry has come to Christ. It's interesting, the book of Titus finds itself right after Timothy. They're very similar. Timothy also is called a child, a true child of, uh, of Paul's in the faith. And they're both pastors. And in the Bible, we call these the pastoral epistles. Uh, these were letters that were written to pastors like Timothy and Titus for a specific reason uh, to build up the church. And so that's what's happening. Uh, Paul was in Crete. Uh, had started the ministry, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, had to leave there. And what he did is he said, I'm going to leave behind Titus. And Titus, you're going to be with these Cretans, these creatures. And let me tell you about them. Uh, he says, again, what I started off the service with, that they are their own prophets, their own people talk this way about them, saying they're always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then it's kind of comical. I think that Paul is a little bit tongue-in-cheek in the next verse. And he says, this testimony is true. <laughs> okay. Uh, but here's what we know. We know that, that this was written uh, to a minister on hostile grounds. It was written to somebody who was having a ministry with those who didn't just like warmly embrace the gospel. There was trouble inside the church, inside religion. There was trouble outside the church. There was all kinds of issues. So we know who wrote it. We know to whom he wrote it. We know where and why. And what he tells us, he says, now I'm going to leave you here because I want you to put everything in proper working order. I want you to, what, what remains, what was left undone, uh, you're in charge. And how are you going to do that? Well, it's through the gospel. It's raising up leaders. It's discipleship. It's good theology. It's, it's all the things we're going to learn about here in the next several weeks of how in the world do we put things in proper working order? Pause. This is your life too. Listen, this is God's word. And it's God's word and it's holy word, but it's a living word and it's for you. And so no matter where you are, no matter what's out of order in your life, in your family, in your career, in the church, this is where we gather. We gather around God's word. It's its authority over us. And we open it up. We ask God's spirit to come speak to us 
and say, okay, God, how do I get my life in proper working order with you and with one another? And here in the church and wherever you find yourself. So that's where we are this morning. And again, let me begin where we will end and where we will continue. The gospel. The only hope for your life, my life, this church, your job, your family, to be in proper working order is the good news that Jesus Christ came to put all things in proper working order. He says, I've come to make all things new, starting with you and me, our lives. And the only way things could be in a proper working order if we're in proper working order with him. All right, with that introduction in mind, let's turn our attention to God's holy and errant word. Titus chapter 1. We're going to read 1 through 5a this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at a proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have entrust, been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. That's just one long run-on Greek sentence that we'll unpack in a minute. To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, a very common uh, greeting uh, in the church, taking both the, the Hebrew expression of peace and adding grace uh, from God and the, the Father. And he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Let us pray. Father, only you, only you and your Son and your Holy Spirit can put things in their proper order. God left on our own, we don't even know how to order things. Forget about putting them in the right order. We don't even know the order. That's how far we've fallen, and that's how deeply we're broken. So God, what we need today is to hear from you and your word and your truth and the work of your son. So God, because you're rich in mercy and you're our father, give us ears to hear. Hear the voice of our Savior, your Son, Jesus. Give us minds to understand this letter written a long time ago to a man named Titus that you, through your Holy Spirit, have preserved for us. Give us minds to understand what it means. Father, give us hearts, hearts that believe, hearts of faith, hearts that are soft with the good news of the gospel and Would you remove the parts of our hearts that are hardened because of sin and disbelief? God, what we need are feet. Feet that walk in your word and your truth and are obedient to you. So Father, would you come in such an amazingly tangible way through the preaching of your word and through the good news of your son that we would be changed and transformed to be more like Jesus, our Savior, so that we can imitate him in the life we live, knowing that we're not saved because of our imitation, 
But by your grace, through faith and his work, we have been made new. Make us new again today. Father, the things that I say that are wrong or my opinion, may those things fall away quickly and be forgotten. But the things that I say this morning that are true, empowered by the good news of the gospel, would you use those words, those living words, to make us more like Jesus, your Son, our Savior. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you'd like to follow along this morning. Again, as we look at putting all things in proper working order. And where does it begin? I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? It begins with a life that is in proper working order. And so in the beginning of this letter, Paul is going to tell us some very key things about who he is and about his relationship with God. And he's going to show us a life that's in proper working order. Now, I want to start off with reminding you this. Paul is an example for us that points us to Jesus. Paul had some unique qualities to him that you and I don't have. He was a set-aside by Jesus Christ himself apostle. I mean, he had the authority that you and I don't. But he has a life that he says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. So it's not that so much that Paul is to be the normative, the, the example in certain ways. But we look to his life and realize, what is a life in proper working order according to Paul? Well, it's this. A life in proper working order, first of all, is in submission to God. It's in submission to God. Paul starts this letter and he says, Paul, I am a servant. I am a slave. I am what the Greek word here is doulos of God. And he wants to know right away that he is in submission to God. For those of you Bible scholars who, who love these kind of things, let me tell you, it's the only place here throughout Scripture that he calls himself a servant of God. It's not foreign language to Paul. Paul uses that frequently, but he usually says in other places, I am a servant, a slave, a doulos to Jesus Christ. But here he says something a little bit different. He says he's a servant of God. Now, we know that Jesus is fully God, and we also realize that Paul is probably trying to pull in uh, his Jewish readers. He's using language when he says servant of God, he's actually using Old Testament language that Moses himself was referred to as servant of God. But as he uses the phrase servant of God, we see that Paul lives his life in submission to God. Paul knew who his owner was. His owner was God. Why? His owner was God for two reasons. First reason was through creation. Paul, like all of us, are made in God's image. We reflect who God is. We look like our owner, even in the midst of our sin. So God owns us, all of us, all of creation, because he created us. But Paul knows that we're doubly God's, because not only does God own us through creation, that he owns us through recreation or what the Bible calls new creation. That those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us, we have been actually purchased from sin and death by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, listen, I'm a slave of God. He knows that he is owned by God. He's owned through creation. He reflects God's image. He's owned through this new creation by God's grace through faith. That he's a new creation in Christ Jesus. He actually, and those of us 
the term here is called the elect in this text. Those of us are his family. We've been purchased by God's blood. So he says, I'm a, I'm a servant of God. It's just the recognition of my life is not my own. I'm owned by another. Paul also realizes he's dependent upon God, that he could do nothing apart from Christ. I mean, again, we often see that Paul's famous words, maybe you see it in the eye black of a, of a famous Gator football player, Philippians 4.13, that says, I can do all things through Christ. He's the, also the one who reminds us that we can do nothing apart, of, apart from Christ. So Paul, in submission to God, why? Because he's owned by God, God is his owner. Why? Because he's dependent on God. He's dependent on God for every single thing. Are we? Are we dependent on God? Do you know that? Let's just be honest. I mean, our next breath, our next heartbeat. I mean, what are we not independent upon God for? I mean, we usually live our lives so independently. God never intended that. And so much on our own that we just sometimes forget. But Paul said, no, no, I'm a servant. I'm a doulos. I, I, I am the slave of God. I, he owns me. I'm dependent upon him. I am submission in submission to him. Paul's living his life like really like the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples and us to pray, he says, pray this way. Pray, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Here's the, here's the submission part, ready? Thy kingdom, thy reign and rule over my life and all things. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So a life in proper working order begins with a life that's in submission to God. How are you? The second thing on that is not only uh, uh, in submission, it's on mission for God. He says that not only am I a servant of God, I am also an apostle, one who is sent. I'm sent out of Jesus Christ. Uh, We read through scripture. We realize that he has a special office in Acts chapter 9. He comes face to face with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus as he was going there to persecute the church. God himself, Jesus himself, gave him an office and gave him a commission. He says, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to preach the good news. And oh, by the way, you're going to see how much you're going to have to suffer for my name. But he says, I'm on mission for God because I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been sent out to proclaim good news. He's basically living out the next part of that Lord's prayer. Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. He's saying, I'm here on a mission from God, not just the Blues Brothers. He says, I'm here truly on the mission from God, and that is to have God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, a life in proper working order is on mission to God, not just Paul's, but yours and mine. I want to pick up a biblical theme for you. God created us in his image to do three very important things. Bring light into darkness. It's true for you. It's true for me. Bring order into the chaos. It's true for you. It's true for me. Bring beauty into what is void. That's, that, that starts with creation. It's, it's repeated through new creation. That is the call. Here's, here's a way to sum those things up. A life on mission for God says, I exist to bring God glory. I exist to make him famous. I exist so that he will be seen in my life, in my work, in my family. I am here for him and him alone. That is a life on mission. It's not just for Paul. It's just, it's for you and me as well. So what is a life in proper working order? 
It's a life that is in submission to God. It's a life that is on mission for God. Well, the only way to put our life in proper working order before God is, we read through Scripture, by God's grace, through faith in Christ Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. So the second point is this. The faith that puts things in proper working order. Let's look again at this really kind of awkward sentence. It's just filled with such great truth. Uh, At the end of part one, verse one, he tells us again, he's a servant of God, apostle of Jesus Christ. And now he says this, for the sake of the faith, his wife, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, we're going to find out who they are, for their faith and their knowledge of truth which accords or which goes along with, which accompanied by godliness and hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, he's promised us, and here's a really difficult Greek phrase, before the ages began, before time began, before eternity. And at a proper time, he manifests or made known in his word through the preaching, which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior." Really what this is saying is only God can put things in proper working order in our lives. And he does it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to take a few minutes here, very important minutes, and unpack this for you. Let me first of all tell you what we're going to go over. And then we'll try to look at it a little bit more closely. Here's the salvation that God has promised. There's such good news. God made a promise to us and he can't lie. And he's promised to rescue us and he can't lie. And he promises us he'll never leave us and he can't lie. And he promises us he'll never forsake us and he can't lie. And he promises us that all of us are his. He will find our way home and he can't lie. And he can't fail. And here's the salvation. God planned it before time began. He promised it as time began. He delivered it in the fullness of time. He manifested it each time the gospel is preached. Let's, let's unpack this. What, is, what does this mean? It says that Paul was called for the sake of the elect, for the faith of the elect. Well, who are the elect? The Bible says that the elect are his family. The Bible says the elect are his chosen. The Bible says the elect are his sheep. Those who will hear Jesus' voice and respond. So he planned to rescue. If you are Jesus's, listen. He planned the rescue before time began. Ephesians 1.4. Maybe you want to write that down and look at that later. Amazing passage. It says this. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ Jesus to be holy and blameless in his sight. You see, this was a plan that God had, knowing that we would rebel, knowing that we would need a Savior. And before even time began, God says, I have an eternal love that I'm going to set on my elect, my church, my sheep, and I'm going to rescue them. It's a plan of salvation that he promised even before he created. Before time began, before the foundation of the earth, God made a promise. I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to love them. It's a, it's a plan that uh, we, we see promised as time did begin. Uh, as immediately time began and man was made to walk and know and love God and we rebelled from God and that sin is separated us from God. As early as Genesis 3.15, in the beginning of the story, God says, I'm going to make a promise to sinners that I'm going to send a seed. I'm going to send a righteous one. I'm going to send one who's going to come and do what you were supposed to do and also defeat death and all of God's and our enemies. 
and I'm going to promise that seed to come to bring all of God's blessing. And we, we see the Bible. If you read through the Bible, it's amazing, the promises of God. It's amazing that all these promises, and they're going to be fulfilled in one named Jesus. It was planned before time. It was promised as time began. And then it was delivered in the fullness of time. I mean, Galatians 4.4, 4, in the New Testament, Paul says this. In the fullness of time, it kind of, it's, what Scripture is saying here is when, when time was pregnant, when time reached that time in that gestation period, when the promises had to be delivered, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Wow, that goes way back to Genesis 3.15 and the promise of a seed to come. Born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So he might redeem us. He might purchase us. He might make us new, those of us who are under the law. That he might adopt us and make us his sons and his daughters. In the fullness of time, God says, my promise has arrived. I love what it says in Titus. We're going to get to it. Titus 2.11, it says, when the grace of God appeared, he brought salvation to all people. And in Titus 3.4, it's going to say, when the loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us. Not because of works of righteousness, but by his grace through faith. You see, what God is saying, we've got to get to this, we can't miss this. this God says, I got a plan. I got a plan. It started before time began to rescue you. I promised it as soon as time began. In the fullness of time, I delivered it. And the plan included God becoming flesh and dwelling among us and dying for us. And now he says, this plan is made real, manifest through the preaching of the gospel, Paul says. I've been called, it's been manifest for me to preach the good news. Scripture says, how do we know if we don't hear? And how do we hear if someone doesn't preach? And how do we have preachers if someone doesn't send them? So this amazing promise that God has given to us, this faith that is made manifest each time the gospel is preached. Paul knew that uh, this putting all things in proper working order, it was all by God's grace. It was initiated by God. It was executed by God. Listen, everything that God requires of us, God has provided for us in Christ Jesus. It's not by our own works that we get right. It's by God's own son that we get right. And it's through his life and his death and his resurrection that we get right. And it seems like it's all about God. Maybe we want to ask the question, well, what about us? What about Paul? You see, God does have to give us the grace. He does have to give us the faith. He does have to give us a new heart to believe. But Paul says this in, in 2 Timothy 2.10. Remember, Timothy is very like Titus, pastoral epistle. Therefore, Paul writes, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. He says, for you, the church, for those that God chose before time began, to those whom Jesus died for, I will absolutely endure everything for the church, for the elect. Why? That they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. God made a promise. I'm here to proclaim good news. He fulfilled it. Do you know that promise? Do you know that life? He says, not for the faith, that faith in the knowledge of the truth. According to scripture, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You ready for this? The truth of God's love, the truth of God's son, it sets you free. Here's what it means. It takes your sin. He becomes it. You become his righteousness. In Christ Jesus, you ready for this? You're loved, you're forgiven, you're beautiful, you're made an heir, you're free. In Christ Jesus, the truth of what he's done for you, not one thing of God's law can ever condemn you because the son was condemned for you. That's truth. 
We've got to have faith in Jesus. We've got to have faith in his truth. And that truth will ultimately set us free. By God's grace, his son has accomplished our salvation. By God's grace, he has restored us to the proper working order. And he is restoring us. How come we're so messed up? I just feel like I got to stop and just tell you a favorite scripture passage. Hebrews 10, 14. Lean into this passage. It's amazing. It says this. Through one sacrifice, God has made forever perfect. Through one sacrifice, God has made forever perfect. Those who are being made holy. Do you see the paradox? I mean, are you kidding me? There's something that happened that God has done in the fullness of time and the rescuing of his son. That, he had that cross, that life, that death, that resurrection, that ascension, he has perfected, he has justified, he has declared forever not guilty. He has made perfect. That's you and me. If we're the elect, we're the church, we're his. He has forever made perfect who those who are being made holy, those of us in process. He's basically saying you are in proper working order in Christ and you are not in proper working order. You're getting made holy. And for those of us in Christ Jesus, there's a day coming where anything that's out of order will be taken out of our lives. A few weeks ago, David Outing preached to you. I listened to it. It was great, wasn't it? Love David Outing. And it's just a verse that I shared with him years ago. And he says, Jeff, I just can't stop thinking of Hebrews 10, 14. And even this week we talked about, it's kind of like two pedals on a bicycle. You need both of them. I am forever made perfect in Christ. Because listen, how often does your life feel so wacky and out of order? And how much does the flesh and the devil in this world want to whisper and say, you're such a loser. I have forever been made perfect in Christ Jesus. It is done. It's complete. It is there. I'm being made holy, I'm being made holy, I'm being made holy. I'm telling you, that's the only thing that I could live my life with. It's an amazing faith that God has given us by his grace. And it's an amazing truth that has set us free. Where are you? Don't forget it. We need both of them. Holy, it's already been done. Being made holy. And don't forget, we're gonna make our way home. Faith in the knowledge of the truth, uh, that faith gives us hope in eternal life. Hey, I want to tell you something about eternal life too. John 5, 24, listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Did you hear that or did you tune me out? It says this, whoever Jesus says, hears my words and believes in me and the God who sent me has eternal life. So what scripture is saying, eternal life is not something that just happens when your heart stops beating. Life and life abundantly is ours now in Christ Jesus. Eternal life is a gift that God gives us in Christ Jesus. Here's the reality. You either have it right now or you don't. And if you have it right now, it's all by God's grace, all by faith, all in Christ Jesus. If you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you have eternal life. My phone rang yesterday morning and a guy who's been battling cancer passed away. Um, and I knew it was coming. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, not a member of our church went to another church who would come over here because he felt the presence of God after his worship service to come enjoy this. A doctor in time, Mark Walthrop. I think I pronounced his name right. But again, just to be reminded that he had eternal life while he was battling cancer. He had eternal life before he was diagnosed with cancer. He had eternal life that moment that he said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. 
And I've got good news. Because Jesus lives, so does he. You see, eternal life is not, God doesn't, I grew up thinking that God was all about life insurance. That he, he, the only use for Jesus was that one day I'm going to need him. And that's going to be that worst day when my heart stops beating. And you start to realize I need him every hour. I need him every moment. And life and life abundantly is in a relationship with him. And I have eternal life. Do you? Oh, I didn't earn it. I just got it by God's grace. It's the only way you get it. But you know, when we look at Christian truth, we got to realize Christian truth has a moral character to it. It does. We're never saved because of morals. It's not because of our works, but it does have a moral character. He says, he says this, I'm an apostle. I'm a servant of God. It's for the faith of the elect. He says, for the knowledge of truth that accords with godliness. He's basically saying not, right thinking should lead to right living. And it accords with godliness. It basically says this. If you are God's by his grace, you should be in submission to God. You should be on mission for God. Your life should be putting all things into order because of the work of God. Lastly, and that's it. The calling to put all things in the working order. I mean, what a command. I mean, I, I like to put myself in Titus's shoes reading this. Paul, or Paul says to me, everything that is out of order... I'm to put in proper order. Yikes. How do I do that? The gospel. The commands for you too. Everything that's out of working order and everything that God's put into your hands, he's told you, put it in proper working order. And the only way you do that is through Christ. I know it. But it's your personal life. What has God given to you to put into order? Well, let's ask these questions. Is your life in submission to God? And that's a pretty good one to ask. Is your life really in submission to God? Now, here's how you know. Is he your king? Is he your Lord with just your lips or with your life, with your checkbook, with your time? Is your life really in submission to God? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Is your life on mission for God? That includes all of you, students, Moms, dads. I mean, the ultimate reason God created us was for himself and for us to be on mission for him. It doesn't mean that we got to go to Crete. And it doesn't mean you got to take seminary classes. Here's what it means. Where there's darkness in your family, in your life, in your neighborhood that God has pushed around you, you shine for him. Where there's things out of order in your family, in your life, uh, around you, by the grace of God, you help put, ask to put those things in order. And you're on mission for God with your marriage, with your children. I mean, parents, the greatest mission you have is passing that baton down to them. We're all on a mission if we're his. I mean, there's no doubt. Mine looks different than yours, but mine's just different. Are oh, you on a mission? I wrote the third point down in pen and I have no idea what it says. I'm sure it was a very good point. Oh, I'll have to work on that one for the next service, huh? <laughs> Is your life in submission to God? Is your life on mission for God? 
And I believe what I was trying to communicate is, remember, it's only by the grace of God. Titus, the book of Titus wants to make clear, this is not done through the works of our righteousness. It's done by the grace of God. It's done by God's grace through faith and the work of his son. How is it with you? Listen, this is going to be a great journey. We're going to, next week, we're going to talk about the leadership in proper working order. We've got to get to discipleship. I can't wait. I almost want to go there right now. What does a church look like with proper discipleship and, and working order for God's glory? And then we're going, to, we're going to look at good theology. And it's not going to be boring. I promise it's good stuff. Can I promise that? I think so. All right, it's good stuff. I can promise you that. And lastly, we'll look again. What is a life that's really useful? Look at the last few verses of Titus, and he says, we should be zealous for good works. We should be caring for the poor and for the most needy. You're about ready to hear about a ministry that's doing that so that our lives are not unfruitful. Not just in right working order, but fruitful lives for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promise, and thank you that your promises never fail that you would set everything in the proper working order in the fullness of time through the work of your son. And thank you for the both of those pedals on a bicycle, that the truth is that in Christ Jesus, we have been made forever perfect. And the reality is, is until we see you face to face, we are still being made holy. And there's parts of our lives that are in order and there's parts of our lives that are so messed up. But in Christ Jesus, we've been declared not guilty. And now you're calling us to keep on pressing into your truth, to be in submission to you as our God, to be on mission for you as our God, and that we have the same call, that we too are called as your people, as the elect, to put all things in proper working order. Would you do that in my life, Lord Jesus? Would you do that in the life of the other pastors and leaders, elders and deacons? Would you do that in this church? Would you please, for your glory, do that to each person here this morning? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.